chapter 6, Hebrews chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. And then we'll open with prayer. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. He was faithful to him who appointed him, as Moses also was in all his house. For he has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, by just so much as the builder of the house has more honor than the house. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which were spoken or which were to be spoken later. But Christ was faithful as a son over his house, whose house we are, if we hold fast our confidence and the boast of our hope firm until the end. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you, the creator and maker of all things. We praise you as the one who provides and sustains and keeps all things according to your will and your purpose. Even at this time this morning, everything up to this very second has been purposed and worked out according to your will and your plan. And all things that will happen from this moment forward are the same. So we must bow before you and give honor and glory to you. We're thankful for the very breath we breathe, for your kindness to us and our travels to this place this morning that we may worship as your, your house, your body, the people of your Son, the Lord Jesus. You alone have been gracious in your gift of your son, and so we bow before you and give thanks for him. We have no other reason to be here today but to give thanks and honor and glory and to worship you through your son, the Lord Jesus, giving our worship unto him, for he is your very son, and there is none like him, as there is none like you. God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We ask your mercies upon us that your spirit would work in our souls, that you would deal with us according to the things of your truth that are found in your word. Use the teacher, Lord, that I would be thoughtful of the things that are prepared and the things that your word teaches us, that I may be used for your glory and that your people would be encouraged and strengthened, convicted where necessary, and yet they would have all hope in your Son, the Lord Jesus. We're so thankful that many are through the illnesses and the sicknesses and are back with us, and we want to give you honor and glory for that, thanking you for how you graciously move us through even the illnesses of our body. Sometimes, Lord, we're just thinking that I'll just get through it because that's what the body does, and yet we have to remember in your kindness 
you keep the order of even the very cold that we have. The very sinus issue we have has an order to it according to your will and your purpose for you've created order even in a world that has much difficulty and strife and struggle due to the unrighteousness of sin. The fallenness of this world is still under your order so we praise you for how you even in daily sicknesses or the the sickness of the season continue to provide for us and sustain us. Lord, I, I know of a few families who are still struggling with illness. We lift them up to you. One of our visiting family, the Hayes family, uh, their, their little girl, Molly Hope, has stomach illness. Be merciful to them as a family, even in this day, that Molly Hope would feel better soon and that the family would get through this illness. Lord, I, I just received news of Thomas Waters, the past, one of the pastors at Emmanuel Baptist and Jessup. His son, Josh, has not good, gotten a good report about his health. He's been, if I remember right, battling cancer for some time. We ask for your mercy upon Josh, especially his soul, Lord. I'm not sure if he's a believer, but Lord, you know his heart. You know all the things that are necessary there to deal with his soul. We lift Thomas and his wife Gail up to you and ask your mercies upon them. There are many others that deal with these illnesses and these battles. Some of us will deal with them in the future. We ask for your mercies upon our bodies, Lord, not just for the body's sake, but that we would trust in you alone through all of these difficulties. May our focus be on your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Well, as we continue to look at Hebrews chapter 3, um, there's a couple of things I want to say just by word of introduction and a little bit of reminder. Um, here in Hebrews chapter 3, last week we kind of dealt with some introduction and we kind of looked at, uh, in a sense, some bookends of this chapter. And uh, in an overall sense, uh, firstly, we said recognize the gracious call to the brothers, recognize the gracious call to the brothers. Verse 1, therefore, holy brethren, partakers of a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. Here's the common confession among these early believers that uh, the Lord Jesus is the apostle, the high priest. He's, uh, he is the one who has uh, made purification for their sin, and they, he's making this appeal to them as, as holy brothers in this common confession of who the Lord Jesus is. And so there's this, this one book in of making this, uh, you know, appeal to them, calling out to them in this way, even though there's been difficulty in their thinking, even though he's been concerned about their thinking. And yet the other book end is in verse 19. So we see that we are not able to enter because of unbelief. So here we have a gracious calling, and then also at the very end in the book end, we have a gracious warning. He's concerned about unbelief. There, there might be some among this group of believers that he's writing to that, that there is unbelief. They've really not put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. They're 
still putting their faith in the law. And this is where he's building his case, but he's going to build his case once again graciously. Now, secondly, by way of introduction, we mentioned last week uh, in this introduction the, the context of, uh, um, of Moses and Jesus and the illustration used here of a house. And I had a couple of questions about the illustration of the house, and um, I, I want to say two things about that. Number one, a couple of the questions, or one question, I may not have quite understood your question, and so I want to make sure this morning I try to uh, rectify anything that, that, that I may not have brought in confusion. Um, when you look at an illustration from the scripture, you have to be careful not to put too much into the illustration. That's even eisegesis. Sometimes the scriptural writers will use an illustration, but they're not trying to use that illustration to parse out every little, uh, nook and cranny of the illustration. Uh, if they want you to see details in the illustration, they often will provide the details. If you and I start taking an illustration and, and trying to parse or pull out of it all kind of things um, that aren't meant to be there, we can get ourselves in some trouble because we're all of a sudden putting details there that the scriptural writer didn't really intend in the illustration itself. So, if I were speaking from a, a, a particular point of view about um, the understanding of covenant theology and we were walking through covenant theology and I were going to build a case for co covenant theology by using the illustration of a house, I, I would say there's one house, okay? And, and the builder of that one house is God himself and according to the text here, through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And it even says that the son is the builder, okay? Um, and I would start to look at the, the covenants of promise and say, in that house there are rooms. There's the room of Moses, the room of Abraham, the room of Noses, Noah, the Noses. The, the, <laughs> Moses and Noah together. I, they, they have to share a room, apparently. They have bunk beds. Um, the... See how my mind, it just, it's really a difficult thing to live in my mind. Um, I'm here today. Y'all need to know that's a good thing. Um, the, the room of Noah, the room of Moses, the room of David. If I were building that illustration, I, I would do it that way. But that's not necessarily what the writer here is doing. So we seem to see in the verses 1 through 6, there seems to be an illustration here where he talks about two houses. But he's not trying to separate the two houses in a way to say that Moses was of something completely different and had his own house, nor is he trying to say that Jesus and Moses have no connection or context together. He's trying to, to show a difference between the building of the covenant of Moses at the time of Moses and the building of the covenant, the new covenant in Jesus in the context of the whole of what Jesus has done. And, and we see that as he's uh, closing this section out in verse 6. He says, But Christ was faithful as a son over his house, 
whose house we are, if we hold fast our confidence and the boast of our hope firm until the end. So be careful when we read about this and you, you kind of say there's a house of Moses and there's a house of Jesus, not to separate, separate those things out completely. That's not the point of what he's trying to do. He's just trying to say in the time that Moses was doing the work he was appointed to do, he was faithful in that house. But he's not trying to say anything in a broader or, excuse me, a more detailed sense than that. And I think we can see that in the text, okay? Um, after I make this point, we'll move into some, some more exposition here. Um, in verses... Verse 2 through 3, he says, speaking of Moses, he was faithful to him who appointed him, of Jesus, as Moses also was in all his house, for he has been counted more worthy of more glory than Moses by just so much as the builder of the house was more, has more honor than the house. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Well, if the builder of all things is God, who is the Hebrews writer already said is in co-equal essence with the Father? The Son. So he's in essence saying, if God is the builder of the house, now ultimately then the Son is the builder of the house. He's making a real juxtaposition here, a contrasting comparison between Moses and the son. And he's saying what? Moses is a servant at a time, but Moses died. And even what Moses ushered in would be changed by the son. And even though the son is a servant, he's still the son. Moses can never be the son, right? He can only be a human servant. So even though you see the context of two houses, don't make that bigger than it, it needs to be or take more details out of it than you need to. Just see he's drawing a contrast and comparison between uh, who and what Moses did and who and what Jesus did. And I think we're going to see that in detail under number two this morning. Number two, recognize the emphasis and picture of faithfulness. So number one, recognize the gracious call to his brothers. Number two, recognize the emphasis and picture of faithfulness. Now that's a twofold faithfulness. One here in the text is going to be the faithfulness of Moses and one here in the text is going to be the faithfulness of Jesus. What I think is important here is, is for us to see the case that the Hebrews writer is building about who Moses is first. Certainly, everything in this whole letter is ultimately pointing to Jesus, and we, we want to say everything we need to say about Jesus. But my contention would be, if you don't understand Moses rightly, according to the New Testament writers, and especially the Hebrew writer, if you don't understand what, who and what Moses is in context, you won't see the further glory of who Jesus is. Once again... I'm not trying to say to you that Moses is equal to Jesus. I'm trying to say to you that we need to understand a better picture of who Moses is 
and to see his faithfulness so that when we do talk about the faithfulness, faithfulness of Jesus, we see how far greater that faithfulness is. And, and the appeal here is to these Hebrew uh, listeners to say, hey, I get it. Moses was faithful and they would have had all this detail in their background about Moses, right? Because most of these listeners are Jews. But he said, notice, he's not here to, to, to throw Moses away. He's saying, okay, fine. Let's look at the case of who Moses is. And let's, let's see it rightly so we can understand who Jesus is. And I want to make that case to you this morning just a little bit more in detail because uh, we talked in kind of broader terms last week. Let's consider some of the detail of this. Under number two, letter A, Moses was faithful in all his house as a servant. The text calls Moses a servant in verse five. Moses is faithful in all his house as a servant. Now, how, how is this the case? How was Moses a servant? And how was he faithful? Well, he was faithful to God who appointed him. He was faithful to God who appointed him. The text says that God appointed Moses. One writer says Moses, and this is an overarching sense, Moses was no more than part of the house, but Jesus made the house. Again, Jesus as son was over the house, whereas Moses was a servant in it. The house, of course, is the household, the people, not the building. If we think about that for a minute, let's think back to who Moses was in his appointment. Did God appoint Moses a protector of a building, a physical building? Did he? Okay, so he was over the people. That was the whole point of his, his service, his ministry, his work, was to lead and guide the people. All right, so the illustration about a house is not about the temple. There, there are some... Uh, writers who try to take this illustration and, of the house and they all of a sudden go into discussing things about the temple. Well, that's not the point. The house here is not to be used in a literal sense, but it's pointing to the work of Moses and he was one who was appointed to be a servant of the house, but the house is speaking of the people because that was Moses' job, was to lead the people. All right? Moses was a member of that house and proved faithful in it. How do we know that? Well, let's turn back to Numbers chapter 12. I think out of all the reading I've done in this section, this is one of the, the chapters that just about every single writer over hundreds of years of, of writing about this text has pointed back to is Numbers chapter 12. And I, I think this is an important text here to see the faithfulness of Moses and to build the case and to think of what the Hebrew writer might have been thinking about. In Hebrews chapter 12 verse 1, Then Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman whom he had married. For he had married a Cushite woman. And they said, Has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? 
Has he not spoken through us as well? All right, now stop there. Number one, here's Aaron and and Miriam, uh, Aaron's wife. They're making an accusation against Moses. And they're saying, look at this Moses. He married a Cushite woman. Now, some would make a big deal of that in the context, but you need to remember this is at a time where the, the actual uh, details of, of ceremony, judicial, civil laws had not been uh, incited in yet. They had not been put into to force yet in this context. So Moses had married this Cushite woman before that. And so they're bringing really a false accusation against Moses. Now, the, the better question is, why are they doing it? Verse 2, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us as well? Well, what seems to be their, their push here to bring this accusation against Moses? All right, there's some jealousy in their position. Okay, they covet the recognition that, that Moses gets. All right? And, and they're saying, hey, has God not spoken through us too? Can we not speak on behalf of God? Well, the bottom, the very last phrase of verse 2, and the Lord heard it. You, don't, don't walk past that phrase. That's almost like, you know, Ephesians, but God, Ephesians 2. Don't walk past that phrase. And the Lord heard it. And look at what verse 3 says. Now, we know what happened to Moses later in his life, right? We know of his anger. We know that he struck the rock, and he did so in disobedience. But look at how the Lord speaks of Moses. Now the man Moses was very humble, more than any man who was on the face of the earth. Now let's think about that for a second in its context. The scripture is revealing this in that sense that this is how the Lord thought of Moses in the context of who he was and who he was in his work. I mean, in a sense, wouldn't, wouldn't some of us as Christians, you know, when we were dead and gone, wouldn't we like for people to say, say of us, he was a very humble person, a very humble man. She was a very humble woman. You know, wouldn't we like for that to be said of us? It appears that Aaron and Miriam were revisiting the sin of the garden. Completely. Yeah, we see the lie resurface once again, don't we? Yep, yep. So here, Moses is spoken of as being very humble. And it says in verse 4, Suddenly the Lord said to Moses and Aaron and to Miriam, You three come out to the tent of meeting. So the three of them came out. Then the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud and stood at the doorway of the tent. He called Aaron and Miriam. When they had both come forward, he said, Hear now my words. 
If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, shall make myself known to him in a vision. I shall speak with him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. Now, you need to see there's a, there's a contrast drawn here. Aaron, Miriam, I, I, I might speak to you in a vision or dream. I might use a prophet or even in some places a prophetess. I may use that in this context. But that's not what I'm speaking of here. Moses is not just a prophet or any prophet. Look at what he says. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my household. I agree with these writers. I think the Hebrews writer is pulling that phrase forward into Hebrews 3. Hebrews 3 says that of Moses. He, is faithful in, he was faithful in all his household. And here, that phrase is right there. He is faithful in all my household. This is the Lord speaking of Moses. And now he draws the difference between vision and dream and says, with him I speak. A prophet, I'm going to speak to vision and dream. But Moses is different than that. With him I speak mouth to mouth, even openly, and not in dark sayings. I don't give him a dream or a vision that needs to be interpreted. I speak with him openly, mouth to mouth. Moses is different from, from any other prophet among you. And it says, and he beholds, verse 8, and he beholds the, firm of the, the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant, against Moses? Moses got to see, uh, you know, even the form of the Lord. When, when Moses saw the burning bush, did he stand before the burning bush and have to figure out in the flames, what was to be done or said? Or did God speak directly to him? Right? He says, Why were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? Now, I, I, don't, I want you all to take a moment and think about how stern of a warning this is to them at the time. Why, why would you come and, and bring this kind of accusation all for the purpose of trying to denigrate my servant Moses and to put yourselves in power, as John brought up, just like the garden. The serpent wanted you in the garden to usurp your authority, Adam and Eve, and, and you can be God. Well, here, they want to usurp Moses' authority. They want to be in, in the place of Moses so they can look like their God to the people. And he gives them a, a stern warning and question. Why then were you not afraid? If I speak to Moses directly and I've never spoken to you that way until this time, if I've spoken to him that way, why were you not afraid to come against him? Then in verse 9, So the anger of the Lord burned against them, and he departed. But when the cloud had withdrawn from over the tent, behold, Miriam was leprous, as white as snow. 
As Aaron turned toward Miriam, behold, she was leprous. Then Aaron said to Moses, O my Lord, I beg you, do not account this sin to us in which we have acted foolishly and in which we have sinned. O do not let her be like one dead whose flesh is half eaten away from away when he comes from his mother's womb. And what did Moses do? Ah, she deserves it. Is that what he did? No, he cried out to the Lord. Oh God, heal her, I pray. And the Lord said, I'm not going to answer the prayer right now because it's my, God saying this, God saying it's my intention that she learn a lesson and that Aaron learn a lesson. So if seven days is what is written for the leper to be put outside the camp, so it will be with her. But I will answer your prayer and that she will not die from this disease. The prayer of a righteous man availeth much, right? So we have a context here of, of the Old Testament building for us the faithfulness of Moses, even so much so that when an accusation was brought against Moses of a serious nature and someone was even trying to usurp his authority, God would not allow it. In the time that he was a servant, in his house, in that time, God's saying there's nobody more faithful than my servant Moses at his time. Well, not only do we see him being faithful as a servant, but he's faithful to God who appointed him. Notice this is what God is saying about Moses is, I appointed him. Aaron, you have your place. And best you stick to it. Did he not give Aaron a job to do? Did he? What was Aaron's job? Okay, let me ask you all a question. How had, how had Aaron done and how would he do? <laughs> Scott did this motion right here. So Aaron, who's given a place and a purpose, is apparently discontent with his place and his purpose assigned by God. And so now in his discontentment, he wants to do what? Move into somebody else's appointed place. When he really hadn't even done what? Done his job in the place he was appointed to. There's a recognition here that God has order and God has purpose. And we need to be careful if we're going to try to move things along in our way. And this is by practical application. We need to be careful. If we're going to try to move things along in our way to make sure, am I doing the things that I need to be doing in the realm that I've been given? Before I start trying to get into everybody else's business. If it's not my business to be in that place, maybe I need to stay in my business and deal with what's going on in the place that I've been appointed instead of getting into everybody else's business. Yeah. It also points out the fact that if we try to pit people against one another, on this earth there's much darkness in what we know about that person's situation. 
Yeah, we don't, we don't want to go as far as the idea of we never judge anything, like some people have come to this place where nothing can be judged and all that blah, 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 yada, yada. You know what I'm talking about. But at the same time, we, we do want to judge things rightly, but we also want to be careful with our judgments. Um, so, true enough. Um, and I think here, practically speaking in the text, it's a good place for us to see uh, sometimes we're called to specific places of faithfulness in the sphere and the realm we've been given. And before we go marching off talking about everybody else or getting involved in everything else, we need to deal with our, our own house. That's use our illustration. Yes. I, I've read some different things there. I don't, I don't want to get into that. He still yeah, he still, suffered. he still suffered. Yep, yep. Yeah, and, and looking through this passage, you know, your brain gets to wondering things and you start chasing other rabbits. And I want to be careful here because I'm not doing a Bible study on Numbers 12. But there are some interesting things like that, and it'd be some interesting discussion. Um, I think that's interesting. Well, if you wanted to have John's discussion about the garden that gets to be interesting but I think Ed's right he still did suffer because he saw his wife suffering and there wasn't anything I'm sorry I'm sorry yeah Well, and what's interesting here is he's, he's appealing to, to Moses for mediation. Well, following the Hebrews example, he was appealing to the one who was the ultimate mediator. And, and, and that goes along to, I think, what the Hebrews writer point is, is he doesn't, the Hebrews writer doesn't, at this, at this particular place, doesn't make this appeal to Aaron. He makes an appeal to Moses and say, look how faithful he was in his own house, even so much so than when someone came against him. That man and his sister, this family was dealt with this in a way in the context that Aaron himself as a priest had to come and ask mediation before Moses. That's how faithful Moses was. So now he's going to deal with the high priest, but it's interesting when the Hebrews writer gets to the high priest, where does he start? With Melchizedek, see. So we're, we're going to get to the high priest. Yeah. Well, and, and, and hopefully that's my point to you all this morning, is when you see this being raised by the Hebrew writer, I don't want you to take Moses lightly because I think in our present age, what we do with Moses is, well, that's Old Testament. See, that's happening all over. We've had that discussion before, right? And this is another place. A lot of churches want to do away with any perpetuity of the moral law, any continuance of the moral law that that the Ten Commandments have any bearing on our present day activity as Christians. A lot of 
churches and, and you know, ideologues, they're, they're pushing in that direction. And so you come to a place like Hebrews 3 and you start looking at Moses and you say, okay, he was faithful, blah, 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 Jesus, 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 Jesus. True, fair enough. Jesus, 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 Jesus. We should focus on him. But recognize the Hebrews writer is building a case here. Moses is very important in the history of the church because he's an example of the context of the people of God. What we ought to strive to be in that sense is honoring the Lord in the place we've been appointed. And so the Hebrews writer is saying, apparently Moses was pretty faithful. If, if you wanted to have a human person to worship, Moses could possibly fit the bill. See how he's elevating Moses and he's not doing it irreverently. He's doing it from the text. The Hebrews writer is elevating Moses in the proper state of the Old Testament understanding of who he is. So that when he points to the sun, what does it do to the sun? Say it again. Elevates him even more, right? So that point that you just made, Ed, that I want us to see he's chosen that metaphor very carefully and thoughtfully. And that's important for us to see. That's why we see him as one who was faithful as a servant who appointed him. And that is made in the text. Yes. Lesson learned. When the Lord speaks to you like that and then you see visible evidence, you learn a lesson. Aaron learned his lesson pretty quick. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Mark. Would it be fair to say that the Hebrews writer is trying to get across to the Hebrews who this book is written to, whatever it's written to, that in the New Testament, the Pharisees and the scribes and everything are always coming, Moses said. So their esteem for Moses is almost like a godlike affection for Moses because everything Moses wrote, and he's trying to put forth, okay, this is Moses, but here's Christ. Sure. We're yeah. In this, we're in this time to where transition to get the Jews who have come to be believers to understand how everybody where we're at right now. And they use the term house like historically we would understand like in Europe people would talk the house of Smith, the house of whoever. It was a family thing, not referring to the building but return, referring to the people of their, their family. Yes. Yes. Yeah, he's just using a broad context there. And he's, he's showing the faithfulness of Moses. I just don't want you all to miss that. Um, I think we can pass by the faithfulness of Moses 
and, and just think in the back of our minds, oh yeah, he was faithful or whatever. And especially in our modern context, I think we need to see the appeal made from Scripture. Moses was a humble man, according to Scripture. He was faithful in his office, all that he was appointed to be. So that when we're going to talk about the son, that even has to be more elevated. Um, and, and he was faithful in, in his work. He was faithful as a servant, pointing to things to come. If we were to, to walk from, uh, from Exodus and Deuteronomy and Numbers, what was one of the aspects of, of Moses' ministry that, that he specifically was given uh, to reveal to the people of God? In writing. All right, the will of God. What? Somebody said, the law. He specifically was you. The law had already been there. It's not as though the law didn't exist, before, you know, uh, only existed when Moses came around. The law had been there. Otherwise, Cain and Abel wouldn't have been a problem. Right? The law always existed. But God specifically used Moses as a servant to bring the law forth in writing. And when he brought that law forward, what did the law point to? Two things the law pointed to. God's righteousness and man's what? Man's sin or man's unrighteousness. These two points are of important distinction for our understanding Moses as a servant. He was used of God to bring forth the law in writing and that law pointed to the righteousness of God and that law pointed to the unrighteousness of man. If we look at Romans 3.20, we get two sides of the same coin. Because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Romans 4.15 and 5.13 give similar indication that the, the law brings the knowledge of sin. So, God gave the law. When we see that law, we understand the very character and nature of God and we understand the very character and nature of man. Because the law says we wouldn't have, or Paul says we wouldn't have any knowledge of sin if it weren't for the law. So we thank God that he used Moses to bring forth that law in writing. Although it's written on our hearts, it's still suppressed as Paul makes the the case for that in Romans 1, and yet we still have the law in writing. The Ten Commandments are there for us to see and know and understand. And Moses was a servant who was used to bring this forward so that through all subsequent generations, man would be able to know from God's word alone what? God is righteous and man is unrighteous. And that would put us at a huge dichotomy in context. How are we going to stand before God one day? If God is righteous and man is unrighteous. So Moses is the one that, that puts that into play in all of his faithful, faithfulness in a way that in the new covenant when Christ comes and he does his work and he fulfills it, it elevates Christ even more. Well, I got to stop there. I've got... Too many other things. Well, uh, hopefully you see 
why this metaphor is so important. And please don't walk away from it. Um, nothing wrong with, with skipping to Jesus and, and leaning on Jesus. And I, I don't want to take you away from that. Our, our focus is Christ alone. Yet I, I want to do what the Hebrews writer did and say, hey, let's see Jesus rightly and elevate him even to a more full and greater and glorious place than we have before. Because Moses was a humble man like none on the face of the earth in his time. Couldn't he have been worshipped in a sense? And yet the Hebrews writer is saying, the Lord Jesus exceeds that far beyond what can be imagined. So we'll close there. Uh, we'll come back to Hebrews 3, Lord willing, next week. Heavenly Father, we praise you for giving us your word that we could see the glories of how you've worked through all time, space, and history. Lord, help us not to pass over great truths to see how you've been building your kingdom for ages and ages. A spiritual kingdom, an eternal kingdom that will not fail. We give you all praise and honor and glory through your Son, the Lord Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.